So my name is Danny, and I am one of the worship leaders here at Citywide. <laughs> and if you've seen me before, you've probably seen me either uh, running around on the stage, jumping and dancing and singing and twirling and giving you all the energy in worship because that's what I love to do. Or maybe you've seen me uh, speaking to you for maybe like five minutes during our time of giving. But I'm really excited to be able to share with you guys today without trying to fit everything I want to say between a verse of a song and having a little more time to, to talk with you guys this morning. And so we've been in a series about prayer and I hope you guys are like getting a lot from it. I mean, these sermons have been wrecking me. I hope that you are challenging yourselves to go deeper in your walks with the Lord. Because if you are a believer and you do not have a healthy uh, prayer life, then I don't really know what we have, right? It's our lifeline. And so we're, we're given a tools and strategies to be able to build our prayer lives. And so I'm going to continue and contribute. I feel so honored to be able to, to share with you on this. <laughs> So I'm actually going to share with you guys um, on a topic that's really important to me. And it's important to me because it's changed my life. And it's very closely related to prayer. And we're going to talk about fasting today. Oh, I'm glad I got some amens. I wasn't really sure what the reaction was going to be because fasting, you know, people have different feelings about it. You either shifted in your seat because you got a little uncomfortable or maybe you shifted in your seat because you were preparing to go to sleep because some people think fasting is very boring to talk about. But hopefully we will all come together and have a better understanding of fasting, the, the power of fasting, what it benefits us to fast. And uh, I pray you'll be encouraged to, to do it and do it more in your life. And so uh, the reason why we're in this we're prayer series and then we're adding fasting to it is because prayer and fasting go together. They go together like um, peanut butter and jelly, right? It goes together like mac and cheese and candy yams, right? Um, it goes together like rice and beans, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not like these things don't like stand alone. I mean, it's not like you can't have a peanut butter sandwich, right? Or you could have a jelly sandwich. But when the two come together, you have this classic. Anybody like PB&J like I do? And despite popular belief, mac and cheese is not really a side that stands alone. Like, you got to put it with something, right? Like, it has to be with, like, collard greens or cabbage or... I like candy yams with mine. Any, any witnesses with that? Amen. And it's not like you can't have them alone, but when you mix the candy yams and the mac and cheese together, the goodness, right? <laughs> and rice and beans. Nobody is going to sit there and eat a, a plate of a fried pork chop and just rice, right? You're going to look and say, where are the beans? Like, it's going to be dry, right? So it's not like you can't eat it alone, but it's just so much better when you do it together. And that is the same relationship with prayer and fasting. They go together. You will get the most out of the use of it if you use them together. And so my topic for today is the power of fasting. My main text will be coming from Isaiah chapter 58. And um, you guys can put a pen in it for a second and I will come right back to it, but I want to lay some groundwork before we get there. I, um, when I was uh, 23, I had just given birth to 
My son, he is now eight years old. He's the love of my life. He uh, just started third grade. And I remember when I had just had him and in my young mind, I knew that I needed to make some decisions to give us a better life. And so I began looking for a new job and I got this really great job for a Fortune 500 company as a recruiter. I got my own office, my own door that I can close and all my own cool little like laptops and, and phones. It was like a really like big girl job. And I was so excited about that. Um, so that was the good news. The bad news was it required me to go to training um, about, I think it was in Omaha, Nebraska. Like I had to go all the way to Omaha, Nebraska and leave my child who was only like four or five months at the time. And so I arranged with his, uh, with, with my mom, my mom, his dad, his dad's mom, they all were going to split up the week and take care of him. And I knew he was in good care, but for some reason, I still had some like anxiety about it. I really just wasn't okay. I was a new mom and I wanted to feel at peace. And so I remember closing the door to my office one day and I just sat at my computer and I just started typing away. And what I came up with guys is this handy dandy manual, literally titled how your guide to caring for Devin Tyler Bellamy. I kid you not, I was this mom, okay? Like it has a header and a footer. It has a table of contents. <laughs> it literally has a welcome page, um, <laughs> a welcome message to his grandmothers and his dad. And then there are sections, guys. There is a section for feeding. There's a section for bathing. I kid you guys not, this is dated July, 2013. And there's a section for feeding and bathing and clothing, do's and don'ts. I mean, I was very thorough. Like in the bathing section, it says, uh, do not leave Devin unattended in his tub for any reason, right? And then there were little like uh, uh, warnings at the bottom, like failure to do so can result in your possible death if anything happens. I promise I was so serious. And it keeps going, like sleep time. I said, uh, sleep time, when Dev wipes his eyes, he is indicating that he is tired, right? <laughs> Another disclaimer, never leave Devin asleep on any surface without proper barricades. Failure to do so can result in your possible death if anything happens. I was so serious, how to pack Devin's baby bag. Now you may be thinking, isn't he staying with his grandmothers? Which means they raised children of their own already. And I would say you're right. And you probably would say like, don't babies all need the same thing? Like they all just need to be changed or fed or just go to sleep. And I would say, you're right. But this is my kid and I needed to feel better about leaving him. And so I did this. I did a whole, a whole manual. It's uh, it's, it includes his uh, doctor's information, my flight itinerary, and my flight info. This six-page document was printed out and <laughs> given to all of his caregivers. Now you may be saying like, Danny, wow, you were a bit extra. Or like, Danny, wow, you were really overprotective. And I would say maybe so. But can I tell you who is even more extra and overprotective than me? God. Can I tell you that this is exactly what he did for us? That he left a manual, a guide for us? That he knew he would be going away for a time that would seem like forever to us. And so he wanted to make sure we had everything we needed to be okay until he came back. Now, I left my son with uh, his grandmothers, but God left, us, God left us with his precious Holy Spirit. I left them with six pages. 
God left us with 66 books <laughs> for us to, to go through, right? And in these books, there's so much information. I mean, he just covered it all. There's instruction, there's laws and principles, and, and there's warnings and examples and wisdom and strategy and encouragement and love notes, he left it all. He didn't leave anything to chance, just like me, because he knew that if he was going to leave, in John 14, he says, I have to leave and go prepare a place for you. I'm preparing that place for you, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you an advocate. I'm going to give you a comforter. And he's not just going to live with you, but he promised that he would put him inside of you so he can guarantee that you would know that you would never be alone. That's what he did for us. How wonderful. Thank God for the Holy Ghost, right? And then we have these 66 books this written word. It was very carefully vetted out, made sure that it was accurate, made sure that everything was right and in order so that we would have everything we needed pertaining to life and godliness. And I just think it's so strange that believers, many believers at best have a very shallow relationship with the word of God. After all of his care, all of that extra effort he put into making sure we had everything we needed we treat it as if it's like not important. We just go in there every now and again for something we may need or when things get really rough, we may do a little deep dive, but then when everything smooths out, we go back to shore. I really wonder how that makes God feel when we're praying and begging and asking God like, Lord, what do I do? You're not saying anything. You're not telling me anything. And he's like, man, I left 66 books. Nothing in there. I missed something. Are you sure? He covered all his bases. And even though it is very sad that many Christians have a shallow relationship with the word of God, even more than sad, it is dangerous. It is very dangerous to be a believer and not have a strong knowledge of the word of God. Do you know why? Because among all of the other things that he left for us in his word, he also left us weapons, spiritual weapons for your disposal. And you may say, weapons? Why did he leave us with weapons? Because we have a very real adversary after us, people of God. Can I remind you that we have a very real devil after us? And God has been, he knows Satan. He's been dealing with Satan for all of his existence. So he knows what we're up against. And so he gave us spiritual weapons to be able to fight, right? To be able to fight. But how many of us even know what our spiritual weapons are? And even more than that, how many of us actually use the spiritual weapons, right? Pastor says this, he says this all the time, that it's not so much what you know, it's what you do with what you know. So you may know about some of the spiritual weapons, but do you use them? <laughs> do you use them? Because let me tell you, the devil does not care about your feelings. He doesn't care about your goals and your ambitions. He is not phased by your vision boards with all of your different goals and things like that, all the cute little categories and magazine cutouts. Do you want to know what's on the devil's vision board for 2021? It's just three categories to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's only one magazine cutout on that board and it's your face. And let me tell you, the devil is the most persistent loser you will ever find in your life. Okay. He will not quit. He's laser focused to make sure that when Jesus comes back, you don't get to go back with him. That is his goal. And what are we doing? 
So we've been talking about spiritual weapons. We've been talking about prayer. My definition for spiritual weapon is, is any tool, act, or action that disarms the enemy. It's any tool, any act or action that disarms the enemy. The Bible takes it a step further in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, and it says that our weapons of warfare, they're not of the flesh. They're of the spirit, and they have the ability and the divine power to destroy strongholds. So if you're dealing with any strongholds, you've already been given the weapons to pull down those strongholds. It also is able to, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And it takes every thought captive and makes it obedient to Christ. Is your mind all over the place? Are your thoughts running rampant? Are you using your spiritual weapons to combat that? Because your spiritual weapons have the ability to make all of that stop. So what are our spiritual weapons? Well, number one, it's the word of God, right? The word of God is described as being sharper than a double-edged sword. And it is what Jesus used every time the enemy came up in his face in the wilderness to tempt him. And guess what? Jesus overcame with the word of God. Praise is another weapon that we have. And this is the one we love, right? We love to do it. Um, we saw in scripture that Israel praised before going into a battle and all the rumbling from them praising caused their enemies to kill each other. They destroyed each other and Israel never had to fight. If that's not disarming the enemy, I don't know what that is. Their plans were completely canceled and, and they went away. They, they would never see those enemies again because of praise, right? I want to ask you, how often should we read the word of God? And you guys can talk back to me. Every day. How often should we praise? Every day, right? David said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. I think about my Aunt Tanya. She, she's one of those people that just keep a praise on her lips. If you're in the car and there's any dead space, you'll just thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Just feel, it's just a part of her, right? She's an intercessor. She's a prayer warrior. And so she keeps a praise on her lips. This ought to be all of our behavior as believers, keeping a praise on your lips. What's another weapon? The one that we've been talking about all this time, prayer. Prayer is a weapon. James 5 and 16 says, tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Prayer is our lifeline. It's our lifeline. And we know because of what we've been learning through the different speakers that have come in this series that prayer allows God's kingdom to come and his will to be done as Pastor Mary shared with us. It moves us from weakness to willingness as Pastor Burgle shared with us. It gives us strength to keep going after God has said no or not yet to a desire in our heart as Pastor Burgle said last week and just slayed all of us, right? It sustains us. Prayer sustains us. So how often, people of God, should we pray? Talk to me. How often should we pray? Always, right? What 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing all the time. And now today, the weapon that we're talking about, fasting. Fasting is a weapon that we're going to talk about. And man, Queen Esther went on a fast for three days. Not just her. She put everybody in her nation on a fast for three days so she could get favor with the king. And she got it. 
You read the book of Esther, it is almost unbelievable how the tables turned in their favor because they all turned their face to the Lord and fasted. Man, so I ask you, church, how often should we fast? I'm sorry, online church, there's a little confusion in the sanctuary right now. We're going to get it right. We were on the same page till we got here. Let's try again. Church, how often should we fast? All the time? Um, I think we need to discuss this offline. I'm not sure. All right, did somebody say every day? Because you're on your own. (laughs) But let's talk about it. When it came to prayer, when it came to praise, when it came to reading the word, we were all on one accord until it got to fasting, right? And so can we just be real about fasting today? Can we talk about our hesitation, the thing that we feel that tells us, you know, fasting is, man, uh, I got to be led to fast. Like, God has to speak to me. You kids can't be going on a fast, right? You, I have to hear the audible God for me to fast, right? <laughs> or pastor has to call a corporate fast. I, I can't just be jumping into that, right? <laughs> we get so deep, right? <laughs> but I've taught about this a few times, and I tell you, there's so many different reasons, but they all fall under the same categories. I'm going to share a few with you. The number one reason why people don't fast is because it is hard. And literally, they say, I feel like I am going to die. Because literally, when their stomach starts to growl and you get a little hunger headache, and for those of you that are stuck on caffeine and coffee, when that caffeine headache starts to come from the withdrawal, oh, that's it. I I have to eat a piece of bread. This can't be the will of the Lord for my life to feel like this within my body. I have to nourish myself, right? This is not what he wants for me. (laughs) Man, or or the second reason, this was my main reason when I started including fasting. I like to eat, okay? Now, we all come from cultures that like to eat. We get together and we gather, and if you ever gather the people and you don't have food, it's almost disrespectful. Like, why am I here? Why did we not discuss food plans before you brought me here? Now I'm hangry. I got to run back out and get my, and my family, when we get together, food, right after we decide where we're going, food is the very next topic of discussion. Okay. It's a, it's a given. We have to do it. (laughs) And so it's such a big, big for people to give up food as a sacrifice that many are not willing to make. But the biggest reason why people don't fast, people are not as ready to admit this, but this is one of the biggest reasons why believers do not like to fast. It is simply because people don't think fasting is worth it. Can we be real today? They don't see the benefits of fasting. It's like, oh, I tried it before. It was all right. Like, I, you know, the Lord spoke. He moved a little bit, but it wasn't enough to make it a regular part of their spiritual walk. It almost reminds me of the gym, right? of why people don't go to the gym. You start off really good and then you thought that you were gonna hit your goal weight maybe within 30 days and you hit that scale and you only dropped like three pounds and you were like, man, forget it, right? (laughs) This isn't worth it. (laughs) I go to the gym five days a week now. I've been doing this for most of this year. And um, I don't like the gym now any more than I did when I first started. There's really no difference. But I keep going because I love the endorphins that are released. I love that I get to feel energetic and positive in the morning. That, to me, is a benefit that is worth it, right? 
But a lot of people don't stick around long enough to see those benefits. And so now we just settle into our excuses of, well, maybe this is just how my body is supposed to look, right? I had kids, so it doesn't, this is my body. I'm just going to love my body. And it's really, I'm not, you know, these are reasons that I said I'm not throwing shade, but we're completely separating ourselves from any obligation or responsibility to care for our bodies with wisdom. And we're just owning the fact that we are very loose sometimes when it comes to our physical bodies. And it is the same thing with fasting, completely separating ourselves from the fact that it is expected of us. And for many Christians, fasting just isn't worth the sacrifice. So this leads me to my main text for today, because you're not alone if you're someone who feels like, I don't really think that it's worth it. Because in Isaiah chapter 58, we find the Israelites saying the very same thing. They are complaining. <laughs> they are really giving it to God. They are just upset because they, they know they're fasting and they want to know why is God acting like he doesn't even see them. So Isaiah 58 verse three, it says, they say, why is it that when we fasted, you did not see it? We starved ourselves and you didn't seem to notice. Another version says, we have fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. Now I want you guys to understand that Israel's in a very tight place right now. At this point, Israel is actually a nation that's divided. A majority went north and there's a smaller portion that went south and it left them very susceptible to attacks from their enemies. And you better believe their enemies were coming for them. In Israel, they were some complainers, but they weren't dumb. They knew exactly what to do to get God's attention and that would be to fast. But this time around, God was not moving and they wanted some answers. <laughs> Back in the Old Testament, fasting was done a lot to symbolize grieving and repenting. It marked a time of prayer and solitude. And there were specific instructions laid out for them to do. They had to wear certain things. They had to do certain things during the fast. They knew what to do to get God's attention and God was not moving. And so God responds and he says, I will tell you why. It is because you are fasting to please yourselves. Can I submit to you that maybe another time when you fasted in the past, you were fasting to please yourself? I know your first instinct is to say, no, I wasn't, but just listen, okay? <laughs> just listen. God said, even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance of trying to make up for your wrongdoing. You're bowing your heads. You, you dress in burlap. And is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please me? All of the things you're doing, doing on the outer. Did you forget that I'm the God that sees the heart? In verse two, back up to verse, verse two, it says daily, they seem to seek me pretending that they delight to know my ways as though they were a nation that does what is right and had not rejected the law of their God. They asked me to show them the right way, acting as though they are eager to be close to me. Y'all, God is going off right now. <laughs> he's going off and he is not holding back one bit because he's telling them, I am not fooled by your outward appearance. And I think this word is so relevant for our culture right now because our culture is very, very flashy in this social media era. Can I just talk about it real quick? Can I talk about the uprise and plastic surgeries? 
Can I talk about $400 sneakers? $2,000 designer handbags? People are literally buying social media followers. The clout chasing is real. I just, I can't understand it. And our culture is filled with such reckless ambition. Everyone is just trying to get ahead and doesn't really care who they take down to make it happen. And this is the culture and the Christians are following the trends. God says, this is the kind of fast that I desire. This is like the most important scripture that we have about fasting because God weighs in on the matter. So this is not up for discussion. He has said what it needs to be. And he said, this is the kind of fast that I desire. Remove the heavy chains of oppression. Stop exploiting your workers. Set free the crushed and mistreated. Break off every yoke of bondage. Share your food with the hungry. And I just want to tell y'all right there. Right there is where I get it. Share your food with the hungry. I don't care if you're hungry or not. I do not like to share my food. Um, provide for the homeless and bring them into your home. Bring them into your home. Some of you guys can't even hug the homeless. Oh, they smell. Oh, I think that they might have this or that. He said, bring them into your home. Clothe the naked. Don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. Another version of the scripture says, don't neglect the phone calls of your relatives. <laughs> Some of us will be messed up right there, right? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that everything that God lists as the fast that he approves of, it has to do with how we treat people around us. Did you peep that? That fasting as God designs puts us in a position to make a difference in the lives of people around us. Now, for some of you, fasting just got even more unattractive, right? Because you're like, let me get this straight. You want me to starve myself to help other people? No, ma'am. No, thank you. I'm okay. If the only benefit is me helping other people, I'm okay. But listen closely. It's not exactly what God is saying. He's saying you will know if you are fasting right when the posture of your heart, it, it shifts in such a way that it directly impacts the way you treat others. People shouldn't know that you are fasting, but they should feel the effects of you fasting. Parents, you should not be fasting and you come home and then you're becoming a tyrant and yelling at your kids. They have no idea because you're hangry. They get the, they didn't even do anything. You're just yelling at them because you're hungry. <laughs> and married folks, you're, you're, you're fasting and your spouse is like, oh, you were? You were on a 21 day fast? I would have never known. You acted the same way. Did, I mean, did God do anything for you during that time? <laughs> Listen, your co-workers should feel it. You shouldn't be walking in there with an attitude. I hate this job. I can't believe I'm still here. Oh, my goodness. And you're fasting? That's not what God approves of. Everyone you encounter should feel such a love coming from you that they know you've been in the face of God. You know, it really amazes me how many people think that they can love God and just merely tolerate his people. That they are so deep, they are so saved, but they cannot deal with their neighbor, their brother and sister. The Bible tells us very plainly that you cannot say you love God if you do not love your brother or sister. And here you go, well, I love him, I just love him from a distance. I still haven't found any biblical evidence <laughs> about loving from a distance. You either love them or you don't, right? But we have that. We're, I mean, people are so, they prophesy, they preach, all these things, but the way that they love, it's real sus. 
It's really off. Their character is embarrassing. And I cringe when I think of people who really think that they can really be in love, so in love with God, and then not like his people. Do you know that God set it up that it's the same, that it's connected, that it, you can't have it one way and not the other? God is saying when you fast the right way, not just for show, for your own agenda or to see a certain outcome, but when you fast and get before him, when you get vulnerable and transparent and low, he says, I can do the work in your heart that enables you to do all the things that I've listed here in this passage to show you how to love, to show you how to seek justice, to show you how to be kind to the homeless. All the things that I desire of you, I have to actually come into your heart in order for you to do it. You can't do it on your own. But it's only then when we fasten with the right posture that, that God promises to pay attention. In verse eight and nine, it says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. It did not say he might answer. He promises to answer when you do this as he has designed. And he will say, yes, I am here. And he will quickly reply. When I first started uh, fasting, fasting regularly, I didn't like a lot of things about it, honestly. But the biggest thing I didn't like about fasting was how sensitive I would get. I mean, I think like genetically I'm, I'm sensitive because my mom is a water bucket. Like she cries at everything, every event. It could be a proposal. It could be a birthday and somebody just sung happy birthday and they're all literally passing my mom a box of tissues. <laughs> That's just how she gets down. So I think I'm a bit sensitive already, but when I fast, I am super sensitive. And I just felt like, man, I gotta, I gotta man up. I can't be out here all sensitive and wanting to hug people and sending love text messages. I love you so much. I miss you. I just want you to know we don't talk all the time. I still love you. And I'm sending out these random messages. I didn't like that. It took me a while to realize that this is actually the beauty of fasting. And this is the power of fasting that your walls of defense are down. And God is able to get to you at this point, right? And I would just say, like, I don't want to be no sap. I'm not going to be a sap. I'm not going to be no sensitive sap. But God had to reframe it for me. So I have three points for you today, and I'm going to use it in the acronym SAP because I'm an acronym girl, and I know you'll remember SAP if you don't remember anything else today. Because when you are a sap, you are sober-minded, your attitude is adjusted, and your pride is put under submission. That is what happens when you are, you are sap. When you are sober-minded, you are alert. First Thessalonians 5 and 6 says, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Some people's minds are so foggy, you can't, you don't know if you're coming or going. You gotta be alert. Remember, we have a real devil after us and he doesn't care that you're distracted and he doesn't play fear. And so you have to stay on your guard. Romans 13 and 11, this scripture actually gives me chills. It says to live like this is all the more urgent for time is running out. And you know, it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up. Can I read that again? To live like this is all the more urgent for time is running out, people of God. And you know it is a strategic hour in human history. Are we not living right now in a global pandemic? It is a strategic hour. It is time for us to wake up. 
See, there is no shortage of scripture and warnings regarding our alertness and being sober-minded. And the opposite of sober is lethargic or apathetic. And that can also kind of be lukewarm. And we know what God says about lukewarm people. I got to spit you out. I have to spit you out. I can't do anything when you're straddling the fence. We don't have defense when we are not sober-minded. Everything we do in life as Christians, we're just taking hits, just dodging bullets, just taking whatever the enemy's throwing at us, just reacting to everything because you're not using your spiritual weapons. But when you fast, man, you're ahead of the game. There's this movie called Limitless. I don't know if any of you have saw it seen limitless and he takes this pill that allows him to use most of the percentage of his brain right and before he took this pill he was a bum he was supposed to be an author he could never write he didn't have any girls it just it was terrible and then once he took the pill he was able to be so alert that by the end of the movie he could see what was going to happen and sense what was going to happen before it actually happened do you know that this is what fasting does for us that it can put you ahead of the game do you know that it can reveal to you what's going on in your children? It can reveal to you how the enemy has found a doorway into your, your spouse's heart. And it can give you the strategy on how to reverse it. Fasting puts you ahead of the game if you do it regularly. I want to be so tuned in that if my son ever thinks about doing something crazy, I don't care if he's in another state. I want the Holy Spirit to tell me. I want, I want it to be, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> That's being sober-minded. Fasting also, point number two, it adjusts your attitude. This is such an important part. When the Bible talks about attitude, depending on which version you're reading, it'll say mind or mindset or, or disposition. Philippians 2 and 5 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. to one has set before us let his mindset become your motivation i love the definition of attitude y'all attitude is a settled way of thinking about someone or something typically reflected in your behavior it is a settled way of thinking about someone or something do you know that many of us are settled in our thinking about a person or a situation and we're dead wrong I mean, you think you're right. You think you have every right. You feel justified. You are settled in your mind about that thing that I'm never going to talk to that person again, or I'm never going to go back to that. All of this, you're settled and you are dead wrong. And you don't even know it because you do not practice a lifestyle of fasting. You do not know this because you have walls up around your heart and God can't get to you to tell you, my son, my daughter, you're a little wrong about this. Let me correct you. Man, I want you all to understand that fasting is such an important weapon because out of all the weapons that we did discuss today, the other ones actually feel good, right? When you pray and you come out from a good prayer session and you happen to cry too, those be the best ones, right? Man, I was just crying out to the Lord and you just felt so much better. Or when praise, right? When you praise and you're dancing and you're jumping and you have all this energy and some of us just feel good because you're actually getting the exercise that you were supposed to be giving your body the entire time. But whatever, you feel good after you praise God, right? It's a feeling though. It's a feeling. The other spiritual weapons, sometimes they change your mood, but not your attitude. Can I define mood for you? A mood is just a temporary feeling. It's just a temporary, uh, temporary emotion. 
It's a temporary state of mind. And so you might pray and feel better, but you didn't really, it didn't change your attitude. You just, you feel better. Your mood changed. When you're fasting, there is no confusion about whether it's emotional or whether it's a, a real attitude adjustment because nothing about fasting feels good. You're at your bare minimum. You barely have energy and you got to get to the point. Jesus, what is it? What is it? I don't know if you've ever fasted and said, I'm not coming off this fast until you speak to me. But when I was on a fast like that, man, I was just like, Lord, what is it? What do you need to say? What do you need to tell me? Let's get to it. Like I was ready to eat, but I refused to eat until he said something. And so there was no confusion. I didn't have energy to be fighting and quarreling with other people. I didn't have energy to be uh, being a part of mindless conversations. I was very focused that my, my mood didn't just change, but I wanted God to change my mindset, to change my thinking because I was settled and I knew I needed to be made right. So you have to be careful. Ask yourself, did my attitude change or did my mood change? One of the most powerful examples of this is found in uh, 2 Samuel 12 and 16. And this is where we find David in really bad shape. And he's praying for God to, to heal his son and to allow his son to live. The reason why we know that David was fasting in the right way is that when the situation ended and God told him no, David got up, he washed his face, and he went to church to worship. Some people, when they get a no, that takes you out for eight months. We're not even going to see you again until next year because you are fasting to please yourself. You are fasting to get the outcome that you desired. David fasted in a way that God had designed. Point number three, and this is probably one of the most important points. Fasting puts pride under submission. Now let's talk about pride because the first thing that you need to know about pride is that it hides. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Pride is never going to just say, hey, it's me. It's pride. Hey, yeah, I'm prideful in what? Pride never said, if you, if you accuse somebody of being prideful, their first instinct is to deny it because pride is never going to admit that it's there. Instead, it hides. So today I wanted to just give you a few phrases so that you can know if pride is operating in your life, even just a little bit. The first statement I would say is if you find yourself saying, I would never. I would never do that. Not me. I mean, maybe them. I, I could never do that. Why? Because, because what? <laughs> what is so special about you? Did you not also uh, fall short of the glory of God? What is it in you that you're putting confidence in that you think I would never? I can't forgive what they did to me because I would never have done that to them. It's pride. I also already said that if you immediately deny that you're prideful, you better check because I'm pretty sure that you have pride within your heart. This is the same attitude that makes you listen to the word that pastor's bringing and you say, oh no, this isn't for me, but I sure hope sister so-and-so heard this. I sure hope brother so-and-so heard this. You look back, I hope they're paying attention. They already look like they're paying attention. So you go up to them after service and say, oh, didn't pastor preach so good? Did you remember that part he said about this, this, and this? Because you want to make sure that they heard that part that was for them. That is pride. It's pride. And one of the strongest, most strongest prideful statements I've heard is, it's the principle of the matter. Y'all ever said that one? It's just, I'm not even really upset about it. It's the principle of the matter. 
I don't really care, but it's just the principle of the matter. You care. It's your dignity that's really hurt. It's your pride that's really hurt. You felt like they owed you something and you're holding on to your need to be vindicated. You're holding on your need to be respected, right? You let go of your need to be vindicated when you're fasting as God designs. You let go of that need because you remind yourself that God actually, he fights my battles for me. You remind yourself of who you are. I don't have to hold on to offense. I don't have to do that, but God can show this to you through, through fasting. Let me tell you, I am a, I'm a sap. I'm a proud sap. I'm a proud sap because of what God has done in my life. I had to get sober minded. It was during a 40 day fast when the Lord showed me the enemy's plan to make sure I would never sing for God again. When I was younger, it was always, you're not good enough. His voice was always just saying, you're not good enough. Mind you, I come from a family that's very musical. Everybody can sing or play an instrument. There's only a few of us sprinkled in there that, that missed the gene somehow. But most of us, we got it, right? And I remember leading the song, and I couldn't really do what the song needed to be done. And so the choir director gave the rest of the song to my aunt. She had to take over at a really big event. So I'm just like, man, I'm not good enough. I entered a competition. Now, I didn't even want to enter this competition. My church kept entering this Martin Luther King contest. And I have to sing a solo and I don't place first or second or third. And there was only four people in the category. <laughs> Man, Danny, you're not good enough. I get a little bit older and I, I end up having my son out of wedlock and now for sure you can't sing for God. Look at the decisions you've made, Danny. Stop doing that. And then when I finally was able to move beyond the shame, then he was just telling me that, man, you're not worthy. You're just not worthy. It was during that fast. I was sober minded enough to say, I, this was the first time I remember speaking to the devil on a Saturday morning in prayer. And I said, why are you so concerned with me singing? What is it to you if I sing or not? The Lord instantly showed me this is his agenda. Because he knows that if you can push past all of this and you sing, he knows that strongholds will be broken. If you can move beyond that. But I was only able to see the enemy and he was very plain, but I couldn't see it because I wasn't sober minded. I had to get sober minded long enough to recognize his pattern and then renounce it. And you guys know I'm singing today. Still singing today. You want to talk about an attitude adjustment? Oh, I was a young girl who everyone would say was grown or who, who thought she was grown or she was fast or she has a terrible attitude. And what they didn't know is that from the age of five, I was being sexually abused. From the age of, well, that's how old he said is when, when, how old I was when he started. We really don't know, but let's just say five. From five to 12, I was being sexually abused. Do you know how important those years are for a child and their development? Do you know how strategic it was for the enemy to have that happen to me during my times of development, emotionally, spiritually, being a five-year-old or being a young child, watching things that no child should ever have to watch and being made to do things that no child should ever be made to do or being made to watch things that no child should ever be made to watch, whatever the case, my mind was messed up. It was perverted. It was off. I didn't even know what it looked like or felt like to have a healthy mind because all I knew was that perversion. It took 
a lifestyle of prayer and fasting and Jesus and therapy to uproot the way that I was settled in my thinking. I was settled that I had to just do certain things or be a certain way. And the Lord had to show me and teach me and renew my mind by the word of God that this was not how life was supposed to be. My attitude has been adjusted. That's the benefit of fasting. And you want to talk about pride? Pride being put under submission? That very thing happened when I had to confront my abuser and his wife. And tell them, I'm not even here for an apology, even though you never gave me one. But I'm here to let you know that God has delivered me. That God has set me free. And I didn't want the enemy to keep playing with my mind on whether I had forgiven or not. So I confronted it. And I walked away feeling light as ever. Because I knew I was free and free indeed. Perhaps the most powerful testimony I have from my lifestyle of fasting is God and how he reconciled me and my mom's relationship. My mom was the one person I blamed for me being sexually abused because I couldn't understand how she could allow that to happen right under her nose. And so I blamed her. I would never admit that I was blaming her. But man, I, I basically gave her a debt that she could never pay. My mom apologized time after time over the years for what had happened to me. And I had settled within myself that, that this was how it was going to be. I felt like, man, you know what? Uh, she's just a soul in a kingdom that needs to be saved. And I'm going to love her like a soul in a kingdom. But any desire or any thought that we would have a real mother-daughter relationship, oh, that was out the window. I was settled and my pride had me holding on to this offense. But as I fasted, I realized you cannot keep your walls up around and against other people, but think that you can just put them down when it's time to go before God. It doesn't work like that. If the walls are up against other people, it's up against God too. God set it up that it works together. So you can't have offense in your heart. You can't have unforgiveness in your heart and think that you can go to God and think everything is good. He didn't set it up that way. That's why he said, before you even come to me, go get it right with your neighbor. Then you can come talk to me because he has it all connected. Can I tell y'all that my mom today is my best friend? Can I tell you that when I thought that we could never have a mother-daughter relationship, now I call her so many times in a day and I get an attitude when she doesn't answer. This may be a little funny, but, and some of you may already have that with, with your parents, but for some of you who know that you have a strange parents, you know the thought of going from where you are now to actually considering your, your parent, your best friend, that sounds crazy. It sounded crazy to me, but that was the power of God. It's the power of fasting. It's the power of putting your pride under submission. And when I asked the Lord what to share and what to add or what to take away, he specifically told me to mention my relationship with my mom because there will be people in this room that also have strange relationships or estranged relationships with your parents. And you don't even see how it's impacting you or affecting you. And God said, now is the time. Now is the time for you to fast and pray. That is the, this is the moment that he wants to tear down those walls that you have built up. And he wants to minister to your heart and do something new. Ezekiel 36 and 26. Man, it says that uh, God promises to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. I will give you a new spirit. 
I will do a new thing and I will take your stony heart, your heart that's full of offense. You're holding on to your right to be mad at your mother or father. You're holding on to unforgiveness. You're holding on to all these different things. And God says, now is the time that I want to give you a heart of flesh. Before I got up here, we were singing, God, I'm open. Come again, let your glory in. It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart. Are you ready to open your hearts? to the Lord today. You guys can stand up on your feet. Jesus. It was during a a 10 day fast during 10 days of prayer when I decided within my heart I was going to get my relationship right with my mom. And so I, um, I was like, you know what? I really felt the Lord just saying, we're going to go on a fast together. We're going to do this together as a body. And then I said, Danny, now you know this is your first time talking on a Sunday. You know good and well you can't put the church on a fast. What are you thinking? And don't you know it's so funny that pastor hit me up and he was like just wondering if there was going to be a challenge or something that we were going to do together. And he literally said word for word what I felt in my spirit to say. And then he approved it. That citywide will go on a fast for the next seven days leading up to 10 days of prayer. So that we can get hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone. So that God can release us from the unforgiveness. So that God can break down these walls that we built up for each other. That you don't even realize are walls that you also have up against God. I pray that your heart is receptive. I pray that your heart is open. I pray that you make yourself ready for what God wants to do and what he wants to break in your life. Satan has no authority over your mind in the name of Jesus. Fasting will also help show you the ways that you unintentionally are partnering with the devil. When I decided to keep on singing because the devil was telling me not to sing, I didn't even know why. I just knew I don't like you. You don't like me. We're not on the same team. So I'm not going to do what you are telling me to do. I'm just going to do the opposite and see how that goes. So some of you need to just say, what ways am I partnering with the enemy that I didn't realize? And just do the opposite, right? Just do the opposite. But we need to be sober minded. We need our attitudes adjusted. We need pride to to be put under submission so the Lord can show us where to go and what to do. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us spiritual weapons to fight the good fight of faith. I thank you, Lord, that this word has fallen on good ground. I thank you that something that was said today is still stirring in the hearts of your people. I thank you, Lord, that the enemy's strongholds are being broken now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that every weapon that has been formed against us, that's been making us duck and dodge, I thank you, Lord, that we get to stand up and fight back with the weapons that you've given us. I thank you that we will no longer be cowards in the spirit. I thank you that we will no longer be bullied by the enemy. I thank you that we will gather together as one body to fast and go before you, God, with repentance, with hearts that are not just trying to please ourselves, but hearts that say, God, we really want you. God, we really want you to come into our hearts and to make them hearts of flesh. No more stony hearts. No more hanging on to the need to be, to be vindicated. 
No more holding on to the need to be offended. No more holding on just for the principle of the matter. But God, we release everything this morning and we say, come into our hearts. We ask you to dwell in our hearts.